Gosh, and now you're just coughing into the mic cheese. You're a mess, Greg. You're falling apart. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. You're falling apart. I'm worried about you. Nope. I'll tell you I'm falling apart because I ran this afternoon. It sucked. Oh. Actually, no, it felt fine. Got some haterade in me. Ready I saw a billboard on. for a new Gatorade product, but I can't remember what it's called. It's G something. G8 G- or G Fuel. <laughs> that's, that's Gator G-I. Fuel. I don't know. <laughs> They could still use the gator, and I was like, wait a minute. I thought that's why they started I, – I thought they couldn't use the gator anymore, but what do I know? No, there's there's G2, which I think has extra electrolytes or whatever plants crave, and then there's G0, which is zero sugar. Oh, yes. Yeah. For the health-conscious crowd. Yeah. Because <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm drinking Gatorade, I want the healthiest option. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. If you excuse me, I'll have classic original taste Coke. Okay, John. <laughs> only, the good, only the good brown sludge water for me, John. <laughs> At least it's pure. John, you legitimately went to a store and got regular Coke, like yes. with high fructose corn syrup and everything. Are you sure? Are you sure the cashier like didn't say, "Would you rather have a loaded gun instead?" Why <laughs> don't <laughs> you just take a loaded gun straight to your temple? Because yeah. that's what you're doing slowly. <laughs> yeah. John, I want to switch up the format here a little bit. Oh, no. Um, because usually, if if this is your first time tuning in, hello, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs. I'm Greg. This is my twin brother, John. Hello. And the format of every episode is that uh, usually we talk about a classic film and uh, see whether it earns that classic status. And typically, we start uh, every episode with a bit of banter, of gibberish, usually, about the current events of the day. A little day. back and forth, a little repartee, to, as an amuse-bouche to yeah. the actual conversation, to yeah. the meat and the bones of it. <laughs> yes, as, as you can tell, it's obviously very well planned and very coordinated. Um, so, But, come on, you probably saw the title of this podcast episode and you wanted to tune in. So, John, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get mm-hmm. to what people actually want to hear. Let's talk about Disney's Cruella. Finally, <laughs> <Yeah>. finally. <laughs> I teased, I teased it the last episode. Now we finally got a chance to watch it, and who boy is it long? Oh, goodness gracious! <laughs> a Cruella movie does not need to be two hours and twenty minutes. <laughs> well, John, don't give the game away. Um, you know, granted, the movie's probably not for us because we're uh, toxically masculine guys, um, <laughs> uh, stubbornly upholding the patriarchy, and obviously seeing uh, Cruella um, do well at the bo- at the box office and on Disney Plus um, uh, threatens us clearly. Um, so, so no, we weren't put that on the table we weren't fans of the movie um however this movie does have its uh it, its adherence does have its admirers and i want to uh, pull up one right here and then you can you can respond to each uh each point of criticism i was going to bring up an article from bustle you know that that reputable uh, source of news what <laughs> yeah <laughs> bustle it's a ladies blog oh okay yeah so great the only ladies blog i read is reductress okay all right fair enough but um, I, I didn't want to read it because it turns out the author who was defending Cruella as an original film, in massive air quotes, original film, uh, actually is employed by Disney. She's writing a show for Disney oh, no. right now. Yeah. Oh. Um, 
So, yeah, not a bastion of integrity there. So instead, what, I went... What to, do we call this? We can't call this Gamergate 2.0. What do we call it? Disneygate? <laughs> yeah, Disneygate. Whatever. <laughs> Where this is about ethics and Disney criticism. <laughs> yeah. So, again, not a bastion of integrity. So instead, I went to a real reputable news source, Variety. They would never just be a PR firm for um, <laughs> major studios and, and TV and things like that. So instead, I went to Variety, and there was a column by uh, their head critic, Owen Gleiberman. Um, and his t- his column is titled Six Thoughts on Cruella, starting with It May Be the Best Movie of the Year So Far. <laughs> so, John, you've seen a few movies from, from 2021. Um, a lot of stiff competition. Would you agree that it's the best movie of 2021? Um, pff, look, it's only May, guys. Just let's also keep that qualifier. It's let's June. That, it's June. <laughs> June, yes. Like, yeah, let's, let's stick that asterisk right at the end. So, yeah. <laughs> Time means nothing anymore, but... Mm, yeah. Yeah, um, but John, I mean, again, you and I weren't exactly uh, uh, enthralled by this film. Uh, Gleiberman mm-hmm. was, um, but he does put out his bona fides. He does start out by saying, a few weeks ago, there was every reason to be skeptical, skeptical about Cruella. Uh, the creative track record for live-action remakes of Disney animated films was middling to dismal. In parentheses, the only one of recent wave I thought worked was The Lion King. And most critics would say I'm dead wrong on that one. So he's got yeah. a little self-awareness and, and willing to lay his cards on the table when he declares Cruella one of the best films of the of the year. Um, mm. He does also point out that it's... Yes, he, he along with everybody else, point out that, points out that this movie is way too damn long. It's two hours and 20 minutes long and feels like a, a, about three seasons of a, of a TV show. <laughs> But again, he does point out things in, in six thoughts, so it's like a listicle. He says it's the best film of the year so far. I think you'll you'll disagree. Um, point number two, he says Emma Stone and Emma Thompson create a masterclass in mainstream acting. Do you agree with that one? I mean, if we if like I think the problem people have with acting is they can't distinguish like good acting from like hammy acting and if you're going in like looking for hammy acting then yes they're they're knocking out of the park however if we're looking for like acting acting you know serious acting i am an actor like no it's not i mean again it's fun it's campy it's it's delightfully you know kind of like off kilter Wow, I know. Can you believe me? <laughs> I'm calling I'm calling Cruella campy. No, this is not no, this is not campy in the slightest or whatever. Like what it's do you mean? silly. It's silly. A it's over explaining everything. It's it's a kids movie, first and foremost. And kids movies mm. are not campy. Campy like in, implies a like bit of self awareness, but this is like straight down the middle, like product entertainment uh mm. with no reason again other to exist than <laughs> say like um listen we're disney this is product for brand you. management yeah yeah <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have another way to uh create a live action product for a uh, theatrical product for q2 2021 um with the with the uh 101 dalmatians so this is what you get instead so <laughs> Which, who even cares about the 101 Dalmatians anymore? That's not even, like, in their animated, you know, bona fides, that's not even considered, like, one of the better ones. So I'm kind of surprised that they're like, well, we got to keep this one alive. we got to keep this IP, you know, in the consciousness. I, I don't know. Maybe they want to sell more books? Because I, I was shocked to learn it was based on a book. Yeah. Um, but it's a novel. It's not a picture book. And what, what, chill, what like, eight-year-olds are reading novels other than, like, Matt Christopher or... Um... <laughs> Well, that's what I, you know, that's like, that was all of Disney's early output, whatever they weren't doing based on fairy tales. It was just like 
books that Walt Disney liked. That's how we got Song of the South. That's how we got Mary Poppins. Those were all like books that he actually read as a kid mm-hmm. or was reading to his kids. And that's how he was like, no, buy, buy it. Give it to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, John. Um, so again, those first two reasons may not be, may not, you know, like uh, boil your blood, <laughs> but, um, or you may not object to them. Like, you know, Emma Stone and, and uh, Emma Thomas are fine in the movie. Um, but here's point number three. The soundtrack is to die for, as if Scorsese were making a Disney movie. <laughs> and he j- just wants to point out, I mean, t- just some of the bangers that's, that are included uh, on the soundtrack. Uh, for instance, when a character is feeling good, they play Nita Simone's Feeling Good on there. Mm. Um, so so um, a little while ago, Patrick H. Willems uh, did a video about uh, needle drops. Yeah. And kind of the use, an examination, a deep dive into the use of pop songs, whether they're anachronistic, whether they're diegetic or, you know, non diegetic. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, as a final point, don't put Sympathy of the De- for the Devil in any more movies. It is overused. It is overdone. It is the absolute worst. And then what does Cruella end with? Sympathy for the Devil, because of course it fucking is. <laughs> So, okay, maybe not some inspiring choices, but again, this being a children's film, and we need like voiceover to, uh, narration to explain everything, because, I don't know, d- just to reinforce what we're actually seeing on screen, uh, like, you know, I guess it's doing that, that job there. Even though the f- movie's not for, like, eight-year-olds, like, mm-hmm. do, would 13-plus-year-olds, like, want to be pandered to in this way? Maybe they like it, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe they're, like, <laughs> like they people get off on info dumps. They're like, info dump me, daddy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, number four, uh, the film confirms that Craig Gillespie is a director for our time, which is, means nothing. Uh, this is gibberish. <laughs> Technically, before he got canceled, he, Lars, Lars von Trier was a director of our time. So okay, also, got... the fact that he's doing this as a listicle is also deeply embarrassing. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's hard to get those clicks, guys, but come on, this is sad. <laughs> Listen, he. Some head film critics have to do a column on Sunday. They need that space in the print edition. You got to come out with something. All right, give him a break. All right. Number five. Does the industry want a future in which a movie as good as this one is dumped onto Disney Plus? Uh, I'll say. I'll say yes. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Um, First of all, not just dumped. You needed to spend thirty dollars to watch. It, I know so it, was no, it was dumped not dumped on there. Instead, it was instead it was a piece of garbage like pulled out and put on a pedestal. And then you need to pay for the privilege to go into the dump. And yeah, and I mean, come on. They it. dump. If you're talking about dumping, we're talking about Pixar movies. They're just like, ah, eh, throw it on. Keep the kids entertained for two hours. <laughs> Yes, which Pixar movies are way better than than this crap. Yes, so, mm-hmm. and again, the ending with probably the most like banal point <laughs> is Cruella an Oscar film? Of course not, but it should be. Which is some of the most damning thing, like probably the most hateful, hurtful thing you could write about the film industry. It's like clearly we've got films that are we've got bad films that are like not Oscar considered Oscar movies. Instead, these bad films are considered Oscar movies. However, we should have them merged together. <laughs> I mean, it's going to get nominated for costume design, I guess. Oh, clearly, maybe yeah. production design, but, you know, yeah, like, whatever. I don't care. I'm just, I'm just mad at this guy. I'm just mad. I know, yes. <laughs> this guy fucking sucks. <laughs> I know. I, I, I wanted to elicit some fire out of you, but <laughs> clearly, John, you're, you're unmoored. You're, you're not, you're, you're stoic. You're not uh, moved by this. Like, no, this I'm not moved yeah. by this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, look, in comparison to Maleficent, I think it works a lot better because, you know, this is more of a, a pastiche of like a heist movie, which makes it a lot more 
more fun than like Maleficent, which is going for that high fantasy thing. But uh, again, there's like nothing here, and it pulls every single punch. Have her skin at least one dog in the movie. Come on, producers. <laughs> Have exactly. some balls. No courage, no conviction, no raison d'etre. There's not even a theme to this film. Like I guess the <laughs> there's theme no is... animating idea behind it. Besides, yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, she's bad. <laughs> or like she has a goal, and she but gets in a that... family-friendly way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she has a goal, and she gets that goal. Good for her. <laughs> um, but we'll be t- talking about another Disney product that uh, is also on Disney Plus that that has a, a a lot stronger core, a lot stronger theme to it that they repeat every mm. line. Um, we'll be talking about that later. <laughs> yes, we'll be we'll be talking about that later. I don't want to give the game away, but um, okay. hello again, welcome to the aspiring snobs. Let's let's get to why people are actually here. Um, Again, we're here to... We hope that that's why they're actually... I think the only reason people are listening is because there was some kind of computer uh, accident. They're like, what am I clicking on? And then we just popped up. So Lord knows if they meant to actually click on our podcast or not. Yeah. For some reason, when we, when we first uh, released this show, it got connected to a lot of atheist podcasts, which is not is not the crowd we're going for. Um, we, we hopefully don't have pedants um, coming into our mentions and, and our reviews, but let's... Let's find out if that happens here, because um, we're talking about uh, a, a Best Picture winner um, based on its place in pop culture history with the amount that it's spoofed and, and parodied and, and all that. We're, of course, talking about the 1969 film Midnight Cowboy. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. People stop and staring. I can't see their faces, only the shadows of their eyes. I'm going where the sun keeps shining through the pouring rain. Going well, the weather suits my clothes. Skipping over the ocean like stone. 69. Nice. Hey, hey, I'm podcasting here. <laughs> hey, hey, we're podcasting here. We're hey, podcasting. Can, can I talk about that moment for a second? Yes. Because this is the first time I've ever seen Midnight Cowboy alongside you. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd seen this film, this uh, scene many, many times. Uh, the character played by Dustin Hoffman. Uh, Rico Ratso Rizzo um, is showing this hayseed played by John Foyt like down the street and de- just delivering him some like hey go see this guy or whatever um, yeah and again it just seems like a good like point of exposition and he's got this kind of like nasally voice on um, and then as the story goes like some a taxi cab driver did jump through filming and almost hit Dustin Hoffman and he apparently doesn't break like doesn't break the the milieu of the scene he says like hey i'm walking here not hey you've uh disrupted our like film set or whatever Mm -hmm. but one thing that does happen is his voice completely changes and it did kind of break the illusion for me and he went back to his original voice and not his phony uh yeah um latinx voice so well no but it's also i think the other problem is that was the 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 previous line was clearly 80 yard 
even though they tried to wire it up. But oh, I feel yeah. Like well, a, yeah. I feel like in post, they ADR'd that portion of it. And then the, hey, I'm walking here was like, that was actually legit, you know, audio from that take. Mm-hmm. So that's why it also just sounds off. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing you notice now that you notice that is that also all the extras stop. <laughs> like yes. if all the extras had also stayed in character and kept going, I think the scene would have been a little bit more effective. But now after watching it and now knowing that little factoid, it's like, oh, yeah, you notice that everything kind of like pauses because they're like, are we still rolling? Are we still going? <laughs> yeah. And again, that's not true to New York. If if somebody yes. did almost die, or literally did die on the streets, no New Yorker would would break. I their mean, that's day. a that's a scene early on in this movie. John Boyd's walking down the street, and there's a man in the suit just laying face down on the ground. Yeah, and he stops and pauses and wonders why is no like why is happening. <laughs> well, I I watched a documentary called Mad Men, and I'm presuming it's because he had uh, eight martinis for lunch and eight million cigarettes that day. So yes, I mean, did he just collapse? Did he jump from you know the third story? Who knows? We yeah. we don't know. You know. New York is a city of stories, guys. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's the place where our young Joe Buck wants to be. This is our titular mm. Midnight Cowboy. Joe uh, Buck. In the universe of this movie, he is the dumbest man who has ever existed. <laughs> so, hey, he comes to New York with just a dream of being a hustler. He's like, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to make something of myself. <laughs> and immediately gets scammed and swindled by literally every other human being in New York City. <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, again, he's a hayseed from Texas. <laughs> This is again. This is pre-internet. This is pre uh, uh, New York media, I guess. Um, that when they when they tried to produce stories outside of New York, but um, again, they don't even bother with that anymore. Um, but yeah, I I didn't understand his like initial intention, and I think like there's some things that are. This is based on a book, and I'm sure the book is a lot more detailed in terms of like his backstory. And instead, the the film kind of kind of comes at it sideways. Um, we see like. Um, the opening scene takes place in this old sleepy Texas town. And um, yeah, he's, he's quitting his job and telling him like, I'm going to go to New York and be a hustler. Um, I'm going to marry a rich dame. And then, and then makes a, a sideways like mention of like, Hey, it doesn't matter if it's a, a girl or a guy, like as long as they're rich or whatever, I'll, I'll be there or something like, and I thought, okay, this is our like bisexual King. This is our, you know, <laughs> this is our super confident uh, guy. Um, and, and probably key for, representation too like very brave this is like this was the first in a in a spate of movies that um yeah had some uh uh increased representation for the lgbtq community rated Um, x for extreme yeah (laughs) Yeah. there was there's like representation of a a gay characters and and a trans character um this came out a year later the boys in the band uh a movie based on the play came out um that same year, Maya Breckenridge came out. That was about a drag queen, I remember. Um, I'm, I'm joking. That was <laughs> you nodded. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, you could have yeah. listed four more other made-up yeah. things that I would have been like, sure, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was not a drag queen. That was just an old Betty Davis. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to play a sex spot at age like 70 or something. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> Hasn't she been through enough? <laughs> no, she's um, dead. These gals that want to buy it, most of them are old and dignified. Social register types, you know what I mean? They can't be trotting down to Times Square to pick out the merchandise. They gotta have some kind of uh, middleman. And that's where old Daniel comes in, you know what I mean? Hey! I'm walking here! I'm walking here! Up yours, you son of a bitch! You don't talk me that way! Get out of here! about that. Actually, that ain't a bad way to pick up insurance, you know. 
It's crazy. A stud like you paying that dame that you told me about double sawbucks. You know, with proper management, you could be taking home 50 maybe $100 a day. Easy. Hey, hey, Brucey. Hang in there, baby. What's that? In my place with O'Daniel about two weeks ago. He ain't much of a stud either from what I hear. Well, okay, so you say it's going at it sideways. I think the 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 tone of the film is obviously it's it's obviously trying to ape like uh, new wave French movies, and so um, yeah. we're not given a lot of his backstory except in a kind of impressionistic sense. We get flashes of him as a child, and again, it's just all little tiny little snippets, little vignettes, and that you know, not really complete scenes, just kind of like little flashes, and they kind of come to him in like you know forms of trauma. Like, um, and in one ways that kind of makes the movie very kind of like impressionistic and very obtuse, but also at the same time, it's not very subtle about it. I think the first one is him walking by a storefront, like a closed storefront in Texas, and he looks in the window and we see one of his earliest memories is like an older woman, you know, like almost molesting him when he's like a child, like six years old, and kind of probably formulating, you know, how he's, you know, this talent that he thinks he has for, you know, wooing women, things like that. And as he's walking away, you know, the, the camera zooms in on the sign for rent i wonder what the movie's trying to tell us i wonder what the movie's trying to foreshadow um so on the one hand it's like it's trying to be obtuse but also at the same time like a little too obvious at times as well but yeah i guess i i appreciated how subtle it could be because i was expecting that big grand like confessional scene of like oh i had an ultra-religious upbringing uh with my grandmother Mm -hmm. i i had very confused sexual feelings like um, I had the, the this woman, the love of my life. Um, we hear over and over again, like, oh, only you, Joe Buck. Like, I'm I'm so in love mm-hmm. with you. Um, yeah. But we see, like, it. There's a, there's a scene in which guys are chasing her, and I think the implication is like, like she got gang raped or something, and then like and he maybe got arrested he did too. Yeah, like, and he got like, either molested or he yeah. got either molested or arrested or something. I don't know, but yeah, maybe again, they weren't even the same instance. Maybe they were two different things that he's cobbling together. And it's again, it's about memories, so yeah. it's not you know, it's not clear cut what's happening. Yeah, but that is open to interpretation. I was kind of dreading like, oh, when are we going to get the big grand reveal of these memories or something? And and mm-hmm. we never do do quite get it. Um, and I do like. Yes, that that's pretty obvious. Like the again, the scene in the window, and um, but I think what helps is um, some of the sound editing, because then like what what will happen is um, the movie's trademark song, uh, everybody's everybody's talking by Nilsson. Um, like we'll kind of dip in and out of the soundtrack or something like that, and it helps that it's a great that it's a great song, <laughs> and you know mm-hmm. even though even if it is like a little overused in the first twenty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing to also kind of remember is that, like, again, because this is a very impressionistic movie that's, like, very obtuse, like, we also get a lot of fantasy, like, when he's talking, like, when he, when we first get this initial impression that he's going to quit his job, he has this, these scenes play out as he wishes they would play out, and mm-hmm. then we actually see him go to the restaurant, try to do, like, his rehearsed lines of how he's going to quit, and, you know, like, I'm out of here, bucko, and no one cares, no one's yeah. even paying attention to him, no one gives a shit, <laughs> so there's also this, again, like, this, this nice visual way to kind of capture his naivety that he's just going to go to New York and, and take the town and just like, you know, be a hustler and, and earn a living doing that. And then ends up homeless. You know, it's, it's kind of fun the way it kind of like, and also Rizzo too. I think Rizzo has a few moments like that, especially when he talks about Florida, you know, we get those like fabulous scenes of them in all white, you know, <laughs> walking down the street yeah. in Florida <laughs> with all the old ladies giving him eyes and, you know, like, and obviously this is contrasted with what's really happening, which is he's getting kicked out of a hotel. So, yeah. So it has, some fun with those kind of things as well 
Yeah, and I, I did kind of miss those scenes because the movie settles into this reality of basically poverty on the streets of, of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it might feel, let's say, a little exaggerated at the beginning because he's like on his first day hustling. Like, um, he's not like the other rent boys or whatever on 50, on 42nd Street. Instead, he's like out on the Upper East Side, like trying to charm late, old ladies crossing the street. <laughs> and um, he does come across one um, who invites mm-hmm. invites him up immediately. But it turns out she, he's not he's not conning her. She's got the con on him. Uh, yeah. See, rule number one: you you see the money first. Negotiate this <laughs> yes. first, okay? You don't yes. do it afterwards. You don't do it yeah, after le- the deed is done. Come on. At the very least, half now, half later. All right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll add on more. All right. Fifty to get me in the door. <laughs> Another fifty for mouth stuff. Another hundred for actual intercourse. And, all right. So come on. This is ba- basic stuff, Joe. One hundred. On. You can't. You can't be charging that much. Come on. What are you? <laughs> Have you seen this ass? Okay. Listen. Trust me, John. It's a dump truck, folks. All right. I know my price. I know my price. <laughs> I know my price. Okay. I know my value on the market, okay? <laughs> Megan the Stallion ain't got nothing on this. Let me tell no. you. Anyway. No. <laughs> to hear, the, hear me walk away and he clap on my ass cheeks. Just, anyway. Yeah, like he he eventually gets kind of introduced and then conned by Rizzo, and mm-hmm. then they eventually kind of gain rapport. And this is the one of the things I was wondering. I was wondering if this was a fried green tomato situation, which is they were mm-hmm. kind of meant to you know commiserate and actually like uh, uh, cement their you know homosexual relationship. But the movie is like, uh, no, let's keep it let's keep it vague, guys. <laughs> the screenwriter's like, well, we can't go there. Um, because there is obviously some affection between the two, even though initially there's uh, you know some harsher words between the two. Because uh, Ratso, Dustin Hoffman's character, has basically scammed John Voight, and mm-hmm. he he kind of acts as his you know manager, quote unquote, pimp. Um, yeah. But he's obviously doing a very poor job of it. And even though it gives him a place to stay, like, and also there was this perception, I think, like. You know, there's that famous, you know, quote that, like, John Wayne was upset that this movie won Best Picture. He's like, a movie about two fags? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, so I think there was this perception that it's like, oh, they are lovers. They are actually in a relationship, even though they never make that official in the movie. But again, maybe that's part of the point that the movie is meant to be impressionistic and, and obtuse. And it's not meant to give you every single nitty gritty detail. Yeah, from my 
from my point of view, like watching this movie for the very first time, I thought it was a codependent friendship. I did not think of it as anything sexual. Like Joe Buck does accuse Ratso of being like a gay or something just because he's in that then in that bar and and has this like obviously like um confrontational relationship with a trans person mm-hmm. um but again like it we never see him like um actually show any like leanings or anything like that again not a very romantic film i'd say like it, it not only does it not really it kind of hands off like whether this is a romantic relationship and not just a platonic friendship um we do see <laughs> Which we also kind of before we get to Dustin Hoffman's performance, let's also get to um, Joe Buck reaching the lowest of the low, which is um, getting solicited by a young man uh, who wants to explore his uh, homosexual leanings. So he goes into a, a movie theater played by and, Bob Balaban, a young yes, Bob Balaban, Bob Balaban in his first killing uh, it, crushing it, yeah, <laughs> as crushing it as yeah, crushing it as a as obviously like an insecure person, like mm-hmm. not sure how to express these feelings. So instead, he goes to a, a prostitute, in this case, Joe Buck, and yeah. And there's some and there's some details correct. Yes, there was a lot of this cruising happening in movie theaters. However, in Times Square, obviously, but obviously mm. the wrong movies playing. <laughs> there was not. It wouldn't be a sci-fi film playing. A cheesy sci-fi film from the fifties. Um, yes, true. Yeah. Uh, I was more like the the treatment of it isn't isn't exactly progressive. Like at this point, it feels like oh my gosh, Joe Joe Buck is at the at the lowest of the low. Like having having yeah. to having to receive a a blowjob from from a John. Which if I were him, I'd, I'd be high fiving, like getting paid <laughs> to receive head. Like I'm on top of the world. What are you nuts? <laughs> Granted. I don't know, Bob Balavan, thin lips, probably not, probably not, probably doesn't go all the way back, probably not great, let's be honest. Yeah, but he cares, you know, you've seen how he works, he gives 110% every time, come on, <laughs> talking about Bob here. But yeah, it's like treated as as kind of the the lowest of the low, which is weird, because like earlier, I thought Joe Buck intimated, like, it doesn't matter if it's a girl or a guy, like, I just want to, like, you know have fun yeah. and party in this lifestyle and and this is this is kind of portrayed as a low point um i was wondering well, what, so, how you were feeling about it you could also look at it though it's like every single like he has very few victories in this movie yeah so you could just kind of maybe chalk this up to just being another long line of embarrassments because again like how does this situation terminate the same way they all do oh you don't have any money what the fuck <laughs> like <laughs> so i don't like i you're right i and, and the fact not the fact that they also could have maybe shown a little bit more. I think there's also that kind of shyness where they also keep the idea of what is going on very hidden compared to like the kind of more sexually explicit stuff he does with women, I think mm-hmm. is also maybe a little unfair as well. Like you could also kind of maybe accuse the movie of like pulling punches there as well. I kind of thought of it as more of this is just, again, like another long line of embarrassments for him and less of, you know, oh, like lowest to low or like any kind of sign of his conflicted, you know, heterosexuality or homosexuality or anything like that. Um, you know, I just thought, you know, again, just, eh, I mean, now I'm thinking about it, it's like, you're right, it is kind of like at a point of desperation. This is before he moves in with Rizzo. So you're right, maybe it is kind of maybe a lowest point. But also, this movie isn't adhering to like a nice kind of three-act structure. So I, I no, hesitate to call it, <laughs> I kind of hesitate to call it like yes, a lowest this movie point. did come out before Save the Cat and Robert McKee's story. So yeah. <laughs> It's not kind of playing by the the traditional three act structure, let's say. Um, I do want to talk about Dustin Hoffman's performance though, because he doesn't really come in until about halfway through the movie. Like we've seen these the series of like lows and lows for Joe Buck, 
Um, and then he like finally comes across him. It's a coincidence. And then, and then this kind of starts like, it feels like the movie's finally anchored in their relationship. Um, and this codependency, like they, they pull mm-hmm. a few like, uh, fast ones. Like, um, again, it feels like we have a, a couple of highs, like, um, later, like he, he does find him a client in, um, this kind of, um, let's say artiste from this, uh, Andy Warhol party, um, well, that that was also by accident. That wasn't because of Rizzo didn't even want him to go. No, that's <laughs> like, true. Yeah, because <laughs> it was also kind of like Rizzo kind of felt embarrassed, or at least like the idea was they were inviting Joe, not Rizzo. Like you know, yeah. because you know Joe had the look, <laughs> um, whereas like Rizzo's, you know, kind of. A, the other weird thing is, and again, this isn't to like get sidetracked, but I'm also thinking about they don't really specify what illness Rizzo has, so he's got a bum leg. Yeah. And throughout the movie, we notice him getting sicker and sicker. His cough is getting worse, and he like he's he's starting to sweat bullets. He's oh, got yeah. a fever that's running. So they never really specify. And this is like you know ten years before AIDS would even be discovered. So it's I have a hard time imagining what it could be. Maybe tuberculosis. For all I, we know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a, I'm gonna say it's one of those like generalized like dramatic like um, <laughs> coughing coughing movies. It's like movie short. Coughing into like, a napkin, pulling away yeah. blood. <laughs> pulling away and revealing. Oh no, blood! Like you know, it could <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah, it could be tuberculosis it could be gosh cholera like he's living in squalor it could be anything i Um, guess that's true yeah which i i must say like other than the sweat like you could probably do more and um yeah i i wish i wish he would sit still because his dustin hoffman's mannerisms are still very like just a little bit exaggerated like i didn't like his limp like i know he had um like rocks into shoes to imitate a limp and um yeah apparently in the audition process he's like i'm not sure i'm not sure a handsome young man can play a bum convincingly play a bum so yeah he comes over and like gene parmesan whatever he's like it was me the whole time (laughs) oh god (laughs) yeah i doubt that's even true but whatever (laughs) now you stay here Where are you going? I gotta get a doctor. What? I gotta get a doctor. You ain't getting me no doctor. No. You're sick, boy. You need a damn doctor. Hey, no doctors, no cops. Don't be so stupid. What the hell you want me to do? Florida, you got me to Florida. Oh hell, I can't go to Florida now. Just put me on a bus. Just put me on a bus. I don't need you. You got the damn fever. Well, how the hell are you gonna get to Florida? Just get me on a bus. You ain't sending me to Bellevue. All right, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? It's hot. Sick. No. Sick. Keep it too hot now. Dumb. Boy, you're really dumb. I don't need you. Dumb. Oh, shut up. Shut up. Just shut up. Dumb cowboy, boy. Damn it. Shut up. Just when things going right for me, you got a flood damn but still, like, yeah, I, I think convincing as sort of this uh, street urchin greaseball, I guess. Uh. Well, I th- what I kind of appreciate is the fact that when he's first introduced, I, I don't think he's introduced until, like, maybe the first third. But mm-hmm. again, like, you think he's a one-off character. And, like, this idea that he's kind of a hustler, maybe he's, like, actually a really good hustler and we won't see him again. Like, he's a, that good a con man. But when he does show up, we actually see the reality of how he actually lives and who he is as a person. And that's when it kind of gets, like, interesting for me. So that's what kind of, like, worked for me is the fact that it's, like, when he's first introduced, it's like, oh, this, this is the guy who really knows how to work the city. And it's like, oh, no, he's just scraping by just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and... They kind of work together. I'd say the performances aren't aren't that exaggerated. Like, yes, mm-hmm. John Voight is is somewhat of a larger than life character. There is one very like kind of um, 
clear clear indication though that he's not an original because there's a like this panning shot through 42nd street and there are just a bunch of like what look like cowboys like um like the way in which people would dress up as uh say elmo like off uh mm-hmm. off trademark elmo or something uh wasn't there also like this guy was like he was like the naked cowboy he wore like you know sequiny hat i think like, yeah i'm not sure he's sequiny speedo yeah but it's it's clear that there are other like um, not Johns, but like yeah, like rent boys um, mm-hmm. out there as as so like he's not again. This isn't an, an original journey for him. Uh, but well, also, where did he get this idea that like you know people did this? <laughs> I think you know traveling to New York and like <laughs> people want to go to New York. John, number one, greatest city in the world. Um, mm-hmm. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So <laughs> I guess yes, the windy apple, <laughs> New York. <laughs> I guess the other like topic I wanted to get into this movie is notorious for its X rating, um, and as you said earlier, there's not a whole lot uh, salacious in it other than the implication of maybe. Se- I mean, there's one boob in it that I remember. <laughs> um, it's when he does finally uh, uh, get to hook up with a legitimate client this time, yeah. um, and after- then uh, you know, like again, failure after failure. This is the one instance where he can't get it up. You know, yeah. it's like I- I've- this never happened to me before. Like, yeah, right, buddy. <laughs> Well, again, Although it's playing it. sideways with like his his sexual. It's because he can't get it up because he's not attracted to women that much, or like, yeah, mm-hmm. what's going on? Like, yeah. I mean, but it also becomes kind of like comical because they play this like dice game, you know, like to kind of like pass yeah. the time. <laughs> and then when they do start getting back into it, they like roll over the dice game, and the dice are like sticking to his back. So yeah. it has fun little details like that. Yeah. That's great, I, but again, the fulcrum of the film is on the relationship between Joe and Rizzo, and yeah, when it becomes immediately clear that Joe, like uh, Rizzo, is not long for this world, they kind of rush him um, on the on the bus to Florida to live his dream. And yeah, I feel like this is where like uh, it feels a little. <clears throat> I don't want to say emotionally manipulative, like as if it's a bad thing. <laughs> like I I don't mind having my heartstrings pulled, but um, yeah, like the circumstance in which. Um, yeah, he 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 beats a, a client. Um, the implication is like to death or something. Or yeah, again that that the client feels shame for his like homosexual leanings. Like, and then yeah, to, to end the exact same way as the graduate with um, uh, Dustin Hoffman's fate. Uh, Stop putting Dustin Hoffman on buses. It never <laughs> ends well. No. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. Yeah, I don't know how. I, like, I kind of. I I knew that, you know, that's where the, like, that's kind of the weird thing is that the fact that the movie is kind of playing so kind of, like, fast and loose with the reality, the mm-hmm. fact that it kind of gives up that ghost for the last 20 minutes, or at least, like, until that last client comes into the picture, who is a priest, I guess? Is he meant to be a priest? I don't know. Like, there's this weird thing that always happens with his older male, like, counterparts, and, like, they always tend to be more religious, and so there's always that kind of, like, mm-hmm. weird thing that happens um so with well there's shame one, there's shame associated yes. with it and i think that's a that's a source of the drama in the two scenes in which he's supposedly seeing a uh a, an older male male client um mm-hmm. the first time it ends up not being a client but instead a religious nut who's trying to like invite him convert into his him. church yeah convert him into his church the other one yeah i didn't see any religious i can well i guess yeah he's he's committed to the crucifix on the wall or whatever and obviously like again feels shame for what he's doing like but mm. yeah i didn't i didn't see the, the the signs that he he was a priest or that he took off his habit or something i don't know yeah hey what's the matter i'm wet you're you're, you're what i wet my pants the seat's all wet well ellie 
He was crying over the damn thing. Here I am going to Florida, my leg hurts, my butt hurts, my chest hurts, my face hurts. And like that ain't enough, I gotta pee all over myself. <laughs> That's funny, I'm falling apart here. He just, you know what happened, you just took a little rest up, wasn't on the schedule. Again, it's like talking about like kind of obtuseness. There is the implication that maybe he murdered this client, which yeah. is also kind of weird because typically, you know, in 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 uh, prostitutes, you know, it's the other way. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> happening, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, like, and like that's the kind of like last moment we get where it's kind of like playing with the reality because again, now it's just like straightforward. We're on the bus. We're on the bus for the last ten minutes, and you know, we're gonna get to Florida. Oh, I pissed myself. Oh, that's a bummer. Don't worry, we'll get you some new clothes, and then. You know, and then he dies, unfortunately. He dies on the bus, and, you know, the bus driver is kind of low-key. But don't worry, folks, everything's fine. <laughs> I got to say, great performance from, like, a grip. <laughs> that bus driver was, like, a last-minute replacement, and I, I felt like he was very, very convincing. Like, he didn't overdo it. He's just like, uh, well, we'll just, like, you know, kind of yeah, all he, business. He made, <laughs> he like, made it, yeah, he made it seem like this is business as usual. So yeah. I think he did a great job. Yeah. So like like a lot of uh, Hollywood professionals, nothing but business. So yeah, mm-hmm. nice. great job there. And I must say, like in spite of my, I don't know, critiques about like the tonality of film, I did appreciate that it that it was willing to leave things open to interpretation. That um, it's a very well done movie in terms of like, again, like showing demonstrating the chaos of New York City. Um, <laughs> Um, like all that's incredibly well done. Some some fortunate accidents, obviously in the middle there. Famously in the middle in the middle there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is the classic. That's why movie making back in the seventies was so exciting because they still had room for mistakes that yes. they had to work around. Nowadays, it's like everything's so manicured and perfect, and it's like we'll fix it in post. <laughs> but back in the day, they had to they had to really make movies on celluloid. Damn it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and the I, French connection. Gene Hackman's really driving down those streets. No permits. <laughs> yeah. Endangering lives. <laughs> People died making Twilight Zone the movie. That's, yeah. that's how they really made movies. Um, yeah, and like I was kind of surprised at how much I like this movie because typically I don't go in for the French New Wave and that kind of like overly, you know, experimental stuff that they were doing in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. But I think it kind of worked for this one because, again, it's like playing with that notion of reality and, you know, fantasy versus, you know, reality and expectations and things like that. So I thought the kind of loose, uh, quick editing kind of worked for this movie. So, and, you know, the artsy black and white, you know, quick cuts, da, da, yeah. da, da, you know, jazz. It's like jazz. Yeah. And we must say, well done, because yeah, in the '60s they were kind of on on a cutting edge. Uh, to, to generalize, like a lot of filmmakers <laughs> were on the cutting edge, and some of the results don't always like work. Like look at a look at an Antonioni film, for instance, or something. Like yeah, um, but uh, yeah, this one works works really well, and yeah, probably. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of other films from 1969, so I won't judge if it deserved Best Picture. But uh, <laughs> it's it's got it's probably one of the better ones <laughs> to win Best Picture. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. And rated X of all things. Wow. Yep. So, uh, kids, X marks the spot. Go see uh, Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> Take the family. Yeah. 
<laughs> Treat it like a vacation in New York. See, yes. kids? <laughs> See, fan favorites, uh, John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. Nothing problematic there. Um, nope. <laughs> Classics. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves them. Um, I see Voight on, on Newsmax all the time. <laughs> Spitting truth. And I'm, I'm we haven't heard Dust- from Dustin Hoffman in a while. Whatever happened to him? I don't know. <laughs> Let me just check all why his where his name has been in the news recently. Dustin. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Let's see those headings under um, <laughs> Let's see those headings under Wikipedia and, and see. Oh, there's a very specific hashtag associated with his name. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Okay, folks, everything's all right. Nothing to worry about. See, Kim, to you? Want to close his eyes? What? Just reach over and close his eyes. All right, we'll just drive on in, right? Nothing else we can do. Okay, folks, just a little illness. We'll be in Miami in a few minutes. Okay, folks, nothing to worry about. Just a little illness. We'll be in Miami in just a few Midnight Cowboy is still a quality film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of quality films, John. Yes. Let's let's get into uh, another segment of the show where we uh, hopefully recommend a, a quality film or, or something that we've seen recently. Um, if that's the case, it's usually not quality. Um, but let's see if it's uh, different this time. Um, we're going to be... That's uh, our signature section, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight tonight. And we're going to be talking about two relatively recent releases. I say relatively because they both got pushed back by months and months um, <laughs> due to the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. But I don't, which, which one should we talk about first, John? Uh, let's talk about the more recent one. I got a chance to finally watch In the Heights, which I was anticipating for all of 2020. And sadly, it didn't come to pass yeah. for reasons Lord knows who can remember. But... <laughs> You know, with these with these blockbusters these days, they just got to push them back until they're perfect. Oh, John, yeah, John, is, was it because the film was a disaster? They had to do reshoots and everything. Is that why? You know, like Lin Manuel Miranda's perfectionist. He's yeah. like, I'm not. If I'm not in the movie enough, we need to shoot more scenes where I'm in it. Is that what happened? Because obviously he's not playing the the lead role anymore as he did on broad on Broadway. So yes. Um, well, actually, I think it might have started off Broadway and then moved its way to Broadway. Got it. Um, so I I did read that Lin Manuel Miranda uh, actually does his projects based on what he sees himself as the lead character, and I'm like, oh, classic egomania artists, <laughs> am I right, fellas? Yep. Um, but for here it kind of works because uh, in the Heights, for those who don't know, is about. Um, Washington Heights, you know, the most northern part of Manhattan Island with a large mm-hmm. community of Latinx folks, a lot of uh, 
first generation, second generation immigrants. So it's kind of like it's meant to take place in 1999, apparently, um, in the week of a blackout. And so it's dealing with a lot of themes of like gentrification. And where I kind of learned to appreciate it a little bit more is because my husband's actually from New York. He grew up in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So um, he was able to help out with a lot of Spanish because it is, it is a very Spanglish-centered uh, <laughs> musical, like a lot of English, but a lot of Spanish too. Okay. Um, and so it's dealing with themes of, you know, like, you know, immigration. Uh, they kind of, for the movie version, because, like, you know, a lot's happened since when it originally premiered in 2008. Um, a lot's happened. They uh, removed references to Donald Trump, believe it or not, in the, uh, in the in some of the lyrics. Um, but they also, they introduced this kind of, like, subplot with the Dreamers, which, you know, for the movie kind of feels a little bit superfluous and, you know, kind of goes nowhere but it's fine by, uh, by dreamers you mean um people who are born like who came to the united states as young people um barack obama president barack obama tried to get um kind of a pathway to legal citizenship for that and then donald trump threatened it um so exactly yes so that that's kind of a subplot that they've added for the film other than that they have not changed that much um they've kind of buried a few slub plots um, one of the kind of MacGuffins in the story is a lotto ticket that's worth 96000 and that's mm-hmm. actually probably the biggest musical number of it. You've probably seen, like, the shots of them dancing in the pool. That's uh, yeah. That song is all about, you know, what they would do with a 96000 winning dollar, you know, lottery ticket. And that's kind of the weird thing about the story. You know, it's about immigrants. It's about the American dream, quote-unquote. But mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the story revolves around winning a lottery ticket. <laughs> it's kind of meant to illustrate that, you know, the American dream's kind of bullshit. <laughs> so... <Okay. laughs> But, um, you know, it carries over a lot of the fun of the musical. I think it's pretty well adapted. You know, uh, it's directed by John Chu of uh, Crazy Rich Asians fame. And and the step-up films. And the step-up films. And, and look, in terms of a filmmaker, in terms of an artist, he's a workman, okay? The <laughs> yeah. shots are all in focus. The camera moves well. It's it's edited as, as exactly as you'd expect. So good job, John. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> um you know, there's some creative set pieces, but um, in terms of like "quote unquote" filmmaking or finding something experimental mm-hmm. or interesting to do, eh, it's not really there. But, <laughs> oh, John, you know, is that is that what you were going for for the rousing uh, four quadrant uh, blockbuster <laughs> musical? That's experimental <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> well, obviously, it didn't hit any of the four quadrants because it bombed at yeah. the box office. <laughs> Whoops! <so. laughs> um, I mean. Greatest Showman, like that. Well, again, that's what people have to remember about musicals. They have legs. They don't open big, but they they climb. Okay, yeah. they're climbers. So yeah. we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. So, um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty good movie. So uh, I would highly recommend it. And if you have HBO Max, there's no reason why you shouldn't. It's available until July 11th. So check it out. Yeah. Or I mean, I it, because it is a big silly music. Not silly. Sorry. <laughs> because it's a big bombastic musical. Like I had interest in seeing it in the theater. That's the only movie that would at this point, draw me back, because it's not going to be um, Black Widow or <laughs> Quiet Place 2. <laughs> not Black Widow? You don't want to see, you know, subterfuge and, and, and secret agents, you know, and doing stuff, doing sh- stuff and things? Sure, yeah. <laughs> and seeing all the same stuff I saw in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, because it looks like all the same set pieces. <laughs> Maybe, yes. <laughs> Except she doesn't have superpowers, so yeah, I don't know okay. how she's. Yeah, at least at least you can strain credulity. It's like, of course, everyone's super strong in this one. Like what? But Black Widow only has the. That does hands, sound. So. Yeah, that does sound 
better and more interesting because everyone like everybody always waxes poetic like oh that elevator fight scene in Captain America Winter Soldier is one of the best action sex pieces everybody forgets that immediately after that he jumps on like moving cars throws his shields and like is able to just run away and that's why I hate superhero like they're anti-drama it's like why don't we just use our superpowers to get out of this one exactly and their bodies go through way too much punishment like at least like John Wick he's like stumbling and like bloody like a mess Anyway, but Greg, you want to talk about another uh, a recent release, quote-unquote. Sort of. So it's recent to being uh, free on with a subscription on Disney+, Plus, which is the only way I'm going to pay for a movie on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I am not shelling out $30 to see it immediately or whatever. Sorry, Scarlett Johansson and, and the Black Widow family. Um, but... Uh... <laughs> Now that now that it is available, we we you and I caught up on uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, now, folks, caught up caught up is loose. You fell asleep a few times. I, yes, <laughs> yes, I caught. Well, I okay after a day of day drinking, like you know, <laughs> who wouldn't? But let me let me just warn audiences first. Bring a notebook because um, we've got a we've got a world building to to discuss here. All right, Raya and the Last Dragon takes place in in a in an invitation Southeast Asia, where the land is divided up into five quadrants. So um, all based around the dragon, and mm-hmm. um, initially everybody lived in harmony. But then this, uh, the aliens from Edge of Tomorrow come in, and um, <laughs> which, by the way, I did not know how Disney thought they could get away with that. Um, <laughs> basically, having the Edge of Tomorrow aliens come in and, and ruin everything. Um, I don't think that's the biggest point of inspiration, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Quote unquote inspiration. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. You look at this movie and you think like, "Oh, this is just Moana again. This is just um, uh, uh, Disney putting on another culture's costume and um, having a, a strong female protagonist." Um, in this case, not trying to prove her father wrong, but instead avenge her father from this yes. uh, this ugly alien force. Mm-hmm. Um, and with no real villains, the real villain was the the hatred we all had in all of us. Yeah. <laughs> but um, unlike Kuala, this movie actually has like a, a a reason for being. Like if you kind of strip away all the world building, it literally at points feels like Game of Thrones in the amount of like lore they pour into like, you know, every every uh, family and culture has a different color and sigil and and mm-hmm. and. and, and, and but um, if you look at, if you look past that, at least it has like a theme that's appropriate for a kids' movie, and that's trust, and and that's actually if you can work at a team as a team. And I feel like that's where the movie is the strongest. And I wish they just focused on that. Like set aside all the stuff about like you know this world's like this and this world's like that. Like just get to the characters on the boat trying to solve the the goal, because that's that's the best part. Like we, um, she first sets out to meet this dragon, and she's uh played by Aquafina and she's like the genie in um in Aladdin like she solves every problem um but there like we see um we see characters from all these other lands and they're all very different and and like that's that's great that stuff works and I wish the movie were more about that and would just like chill out and watch that but instead there's like too many fight scenes um as you said there isn't really a villain there is in that the um Raya and this other character um the Nihara like have this conflict yeah. uh, but they've only been friends for like 15 minutes <laughs> I don't know why they've had this like this conflict other than like I don't know the implication that Nihara like set this whole like conflict in motion but anyway it's fine um, <laughs> and then it has a, a just one of the most uh, gaping ridiculous plot holes you could ever think of because they set up like how do you defeat this evil at the very beginning and how none of the dragons come back. But spoiler alert, they, they do the same thing, and then suddenly all the dragons come back. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so the, the, the title's a bit spurious, folks. Spoiler yes. alert, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So that so that rankled my wife and I after after we watched it, because um, mm-hmm. we're both cynical people and and want the movie to end on a on a devastating down note where the the dragon dies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but instead it has to be a kids movie and and uh, it has to it has to make I don't know audiences happy. Come on, <laughs> I mean, but it's also like again like with mythological stuff with legendary stuff like i think it's cooler if you have a built-in reason of like why is there no more unicorns why is there no more dragons well this is the story of how they all died out folks (laughs) all right um i mean it's funny that you were talking about like comparing it to like game of thrones it's like part of the reason why i think moana worked is because it's thin it's like you know it's efficient whereas this movie is not efficient it's like we got five lands to journey across like come on folks (laughs) no i was gonna joke um I thought this movie was like Moana, but mm-hmm. it's really not, because Moana has fun, entertaining songs that everybody loves. This ah. movie has exposition yes. <laughs> that, you know, again, you got to take notes on to remember. <laughs> and I guess a few, like, like kind of like really intense and violent fight scenes, which I also didn't, like, feel was appropriate for a kid's movie. But anyway, again, it's trying to be, I guess it's trying to be different. Like, I guess I shouldn't complain that it's too much like Moana and then <laughs> be annoyed that it's not like Moana. Um <laughs> But in any event, it's still like a, a a quality Disney film, I'd say. Like, again, your your kids will probably like it, and yeah, it has. Unlike Cruella, it has a has a reason to be. It has a theme that it's really going for. Um, that theme is literally reinforced in every line um, at, at, in about the final thirty minutes. But still, <laughs> but still, it's something. It's something, and so. Um, yes. And it has the noble sacrifices as well, so mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's it's working on that level. Yeah, it's 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 fine. Um, I still would prefer Moana, and if you had to choose, gun to your head, <laughs> you you know you've got ninety minutes to live, and this is the last movie you have to watch. You go with Moana. You don't go with Raya. So I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, ninety minutes. I would go with the movie Rashomon, but fine. You do you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you had the two DVDs, you only these two DVDs, okay? <laughs> Got it, okay. <laughs> yes. Fair enough, but uh, yeah, in spite of some reservations, Ryan the Last Dragon is fine. Um, good. Gosh, it's not even 90 minutes, it's like 150 minutes. It's a, it's a, it's like Coel, it's a long one. They've got a lot to get through, so. <laughs> and I do feel like, even though this movie was delayed by the pandemic somewhat, it feels like it needed a little bit more time in the stew. It needed a little mm. bit more cooking, because not just not just in the story, there are eight credited story writers on this, <laughs> and um, and and again, like we talk about those things, like again, why does why does this bring back the dragons now, or you know, why mm-hmm. is this this way? Like you know, you can poke holes in it all day. Um, but the other thing is like the the animation didn't look as crisp or sharp or something. Like mm. maybe I'm comparing it to Pixar, which can obviously do things like down to like you know, p- ultra HD pixel definition perfect and this one felt a little bit like um uh, i don't know like it could have used another rendering or something like the characters are a little more uh, gumby like and you know their skin tone isn't you know no pot marks or whatever on their skin or something <laughs> well i don't it's funny that you bring that up because part of the reason why i love animated movies and why i think a lot of the time like disney and pixar stuff really works is because it does take so long to make like i've noticed in the you know you'll notice in the credits there's always a head of story like this one person in charge who has to wrangle this whole thing and make sure everything has you know an a to b to b to c like and they have to storyboard everything like everything has to be planned out and everything has to be like absolutely perfect so that's why i think a lot of animated movies do end up you know turning out really really good but also there is that also that trap where if you know 
if you're planning it too much, then it kind of gets, you know, stuck and maybe overcooked. And so I think yeah. that I feel like that might have been the that what might have happened in this one. They're like, oh, we need our avatar ripoff. <laughs> so what do we do? <laughs> um, we need to include this, this, avatar. and that. We need these avatar was also need... inspired by Southeast Asia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, really? That's it? That's it? Yeah. <laughs> Not about the kingdoms warring at all? Hmm. Okay, whatever. And the dragon is basically Elsa. That's exactly what she looks like. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I think I, that's also part of the reason why, like, you know, um, famously, they uh, last year they uh, ended their, like, gigantic... I don't know if you heard about this movie, Gigantic, that was in development for the longest freaking time. Yeah, it was going to be a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of story. Yeah, but like, you know, the tangled frozen treatment. And, you know, I think that one was just, you know, again, it was too, it was too long in the pot and it was ruined. And they were just like, we're canceling it. We're done. It's over, guys. Sorry. And I think you can still find the IMDb page, but it's like, guys, it's not happening. So, well, maybe they'll bring it back when they need an animated product in Q4 2025 or something. Who knows? But, uh, yeah. Again, I think that happens at a lot of these animation studios. That Gigantic was just the one you heard about. Um, <laughs> and again, they announced it to appease shareholders, because that's what movies are really about, right? Um, <laughs> I guess that's true, yes. <laughs> they claim that these cons and these expos are for the fans. Nope, they're for the shareholders, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all these fabulous products you can get overexcited for. Hey! <laughs> yeah. But John, hey, did you know E3 was happening this weekend? <laughs> but John... Come on, let's not be negative. Let's not be cynical here. Yeah. Um, instead, we're going to look at uh, let's we're going to look at an unproblematic fave. Um, mm. Sorry, what should, what should I say? I forgot to surprise you with mental uh, uh, psychological warfare. That's the first key. You got to take your enemy by surprise. But already, I'm giving you a hand up. Okay, with this oh, week's okay. trivia challenge. Here we go. We got it. All right. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. This time, I'm actually prepared. I was preparing myself. I was like. Pfft. Okay, so I studied all of Wikipedia. Let's go. Okay, good, because that's where I got a lot of these questions from. Because um, <laughs> we looked at uh, Midnight Cowboy, which features a lot of colorful people in front of and behind the camera. But, John, none are as colorful, or dare I say shine as brightly as one Jonathan Vincent Voitka, or as he's known professionally, John Voigt. Mm. So that's what these 12 questions in this trivia challenge is based on. Our unproblematic fave, John Voigt, <laughs> mm. and the wonderful eclectic career that he's had. All right? Does he have a Medal of Honor from Donald Trump? I think he does. <laughs> no, that's not a Medal of Honor. That is a uh, National Medal of the Arts, uh, oh. Accommodation for the Arts, which, uh, wouldn't you know it, is another fake thing that Ronald Reagan came up with, so not exactly a rich tradition. <laughs> like when uh, championship-winning teams visit the White House. Again, also invented under Ronald Reagan, but anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. Again, he ruined everything, but anyway. Yep. All right, question number one. John Voight is famously the father of Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. He has, however, sired another act, er, another child who is an actor. What is his name? Um, it's it's a it's a controversial guess. I'm going to go Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good guess, Sean. Unfortunately, it's incorrect. Uh, yes. That actor's name is the famous James Haven. Um, who is best known for his bit Famous part. Famous or kind yeah. of um, well, stretching John, the limits of that word. Yeah. Well, John, he's best known for his bit parts in Monsters Ball, CSI, and uh, the movie Original Sin. That's the one where uh, his sister fucks Antonio Banderas a whole lot, if you remember oh. that one. Yeah. No, I don't, but uh, now, okay. I to, now it's getting added to my queue. All right. All right. <laughs> yep. All right. Question number two. 
1974, Voight uh, turned down a role in the film Jaws um, after he was offered it. What principal part was he offered in the movie Jaws? Was it Brody, Hooper, or Quint? I am going to go with Hooper. That is because, correct. Yes, yes. And the reason why I knew that is because I knew that one was one of the last ones cast. Um, and they had always kind of like, yeah, uh, they had always ha- they was always had the, uh, who played Quint? Oh, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. I think they always had Robert Shaw in mind for that. And he ended yeah. up being a drunk disaster because it was the <laughs> 70s, baby. <laughs> yep. Again, you can't shoot a movie any other way. That's how you yep. know you've got real art in your hands um, <laughs> when it goes over budget and uh, actors don't show up <laughs> or are completely unprofessional. Anyway, all right, question number three. Uh, Voight won an Oscar for his portrayal of a Vietnam War veteran in the film Coming Home. That same year, another movie about Vietnam War veterans coming home and being upset took home the big prize, Best Picture. What film was it? Uh, give me the year again. Uh, that was in 1978. 1978. Ooh. See, if you told me the 80s, I would know. Now I'm, now I'm really yeah. thrown. Ooh. Uh... First Blood, <laughs> Apocalypse Now. Yeah, so, no, uh, and apo- you say you say coming home. They don't come home in Apocalypse Now, so it can't no. be Apocalypse Now. No, nor but the only, my best. They don't come home in Platoon, which is the other movie you're thinking of. But yeah, but that was 1986. That's why yeah. I know it's not Platoon. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna go First Blood. <laughs> it's <laughs> the Deer Hunter. Fuck. Which very, <laughs> which is very similar to First Blood in many ways, but yes. <laughs> Notice how I didn't say Rambo, because that's technically not a Rambo film. It only became no. a franchise after Sylvester Stallone was like, hey, let's just have this guy win war single-handedly. Yep, <laughs> awesome. And, yeah. and dedicate our film to the brave Muhajadeen. Thank you. I was struggling with it. Anyway, I wonder what they're up to now. But let's let's move on to question number four. Let's Taliban this conversation, shall we? Nice. Amazon gift card for the best joke of the day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, question number four. Uh, Voight was also nominated for Best Actor for his portrayal of the grizzled bank robber Manny in the movie Runaway Train. What legendary director who was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award Oscar in 1990 wrote the original screenplay for the movie Runaway Train? Again, the year was 1990 that he won the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Academy Awards. Um, I'm going to guess John Ford. Is that your final answer? Yes. Okay. That is incorrect. Um, I should have given you a massive hint in saying that he's my favorite director. That would be Akira Kurosawa. What? He did yes. a train movie? <laughs> uh, he wrote a train movie, yes. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but um, no, he, he just couldn't get the financing for it and said, decided to do um, uh, more samurai movies. So instead okay. it went to America, yeah. All right. Or it was actually a Russian director. But anyway, all right. It's fine. I feel like if you're going to do a runaway train movie, you should come up with a better title, like <laughs> Unstoppable or something. I don't know. What? No, John, it's all right there. What else do you want other than a runaway train? <laughs> yes. Where people jumping out of their seats like, it's coming right at us! <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I don't know, maybe. But anyway, moving on. Question number five. In 1997, Voight took on one of his most legendary roles as Paul Cerrone in the classic film Anaconda. What country is his character supposed to be from? Oh, oh, I know this. Um, it's South Africa. <laughs> that is incorrect. It's actually Paraguay. That's Shut right. Up. Damn it. <laughs> John Voight. 
<laughs> played a Paraguayan doctor. <laughs> See, it's only because his accent is so bad. I just assumed, yeah. oh, he's trying to do South African. Duh. <laughs> yes. Which is world renowned for being the worst accent in the world. <laughs> All right. I wish I could do it, but it sounds too much like my New Zealand, so I'm not going yeah, to attempt <laughs> yes. it. Again, just don't bother. Anyway, number, uh, question number six. Over the course of his career, uh, Voight has played two U.S. presidents. Who were those presidents, and what films were, were the films in which he portrays them? Ooh, uh, I know one of them is Lee Daniels, the butler. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure he plays um, Nixon. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Um, and then the other one is... Um, oh, no. Oh, crap. He plays... He doesn't play the president, but he plays a higher-up in the Oval Office in the Transformers original 2007 film by Michael Bay. So, but he doesn't actually play the president. That is a, uh, a mawkish uh, caricature of our of the current president George W. Bush, or at least current at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with Air Force One, <laughs> and he plays President Wilson. <laughs> okay. So, John, I should have said they were real life presidents, and uh, the answers I was looking for, he played Franklin Delano Roosevelt in Pearl Harbor. Oh. And he also. Yes, and he also played, more interesting, if you ask me, George Washington in the film An American Carol. That's this right. Is, that's <laughs> right. That's the movie where a Michael Moore stand-in uh, basically plays Ebenezer Scrooge and has to be shown. Yes, um, why America's ghost. the best. Yeah, Which, why again, would have been a great concept if it were satire, but no, the movie <laughs> genuinely wants you to... Like walk away thinking, yes, America's the best. So, yeah. um, <laughs> this was this was in two thousand eight when I think you'll agree, America was doing really well, like in yes. Iraq and Afghanistan, like just. Now, how did he get away? Like, was it like an exorcism situation where he held the script, you know, like as Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his skin burned? He's like, ah, commie pinko shit. <laughs> no, this was. This was actually um, pre. I guess I'll I'll just address this now. This was pre Voight before his brain was broken. So, mm. um, like a lot of other people, uh, he was he could have gone to Vietnam but did not. Um, he avoided the draft, and I think he feels some residual guilt about that, mm. and uh, as a lot of Americans did. Um, but then 9/11 happened, and there was a huge appetite for war, and that's when he made this huge conservative turn, and now is Got like it. a huge was a, was a Bush acolyte, and now loves Donald Trump. So. Yeah, the Dennis Miller conundrum. Yeah, yeah, okay. mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, th- too many conservatives to name. Um, both famous and not famous. So <laughs> mostly not famous. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, moving on to question number seven. Uh, in his most recent role, Voight played a chief justice of the Supreme Court in the execrable anti-abortion and anti-Semitic film Roe v. Wade. Mm. What chief justice did he play? I am going to guess, uh, who's the one who died? Shoot. Um, let's just go with Samuel Alito. That's not right. I don't know who it is. Okay. Yeah, it's the one who, it's the one who died and, uh, uh, Barack Obama should have been able to announce his replacement, but, uh, for, <laughs> for reasons still unknown to this day, he didn't get a chance to. Yeah. That, you're thinking of Antonin Scalia. Scalia, um, that's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Thank God he was not a chief justice of the Supreme Court. Um, uh, you're thinking of the correct answer actually is Warren E. Berger. Mm, ah, Burgers. Burgers. <laughs> 
All right. Now, John, you alluded to it earlier. Um, 2007 was a banner year for Mr. Voigt, as he appeared in not one, but two movies based on toy lines. What were those two movies? <laughs> well, obviously, one of them was The Transformers, which we've already discussed. Yep. And the second... Ooh, 2007. Ooh. Think long and hard. I'll give you a hint. It's going for a different demographic than Transformers. It's Yeah, it's a kid's movie. Okay. And it's animated. Smurfs. Smurfs. No, it's live. It's live action. Uh, I don't know. I give up. I can't. It's the Bratz movie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he was in the Bratz movie, and I'm sure he behaved himself every yeah. ounce, every <laughs> inch I, of the way. God, I hope so. <laughs> um, moving on swiftly. All right. This is this is perhaps one of the most important questions, John. This really is going to hinge. You're not doing well, but this is really going to hinge. <laughs> okay. This is really what's going to decide it. Okay. In 2004, Voight starred in the film Karate Dog. What is the name of the titular Karate Dog? <laughs> There's a million offensive things I could come up with, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna forego that. I'm just gonna go. I think this is a trick. I believe the Karate Dog's name in the film. He is credited as Karate Dog. So therefore, I will go with Karate Dog. John, that's incorrect. His name is Choo Choo. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Okay, we got the train movie. We got a dog <laughs> named Choo Choo. There's something here, guys. Okay. There, there is something here. All right, question 10. Who voiced the character of Choo Choo in the film Karate Dog? <laughs> um, Jason Lee. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he did Underdog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I will say I'll give you a hint. He, he like Voight was a '70s star, and in 2004, a little past his prime. Hmm. Christopher Walken. I don't know. <laughs> no, I've got no idea. No, that's a good guess. Um, it's Chevy Chase. Oh, oh no! Oh gosh! <laughs> Just the hits keep coming. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number eleven: Who directed the movie Karate Dog? <sighs> I don't know. Um, Michael Bay. <laughs> no. no, he's he's uh he 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 plays a part in the next question. Um, I don't know. You would have to be like a like a genius to really like kind of remember who the who the director of this movie was. I like. It's got to be like maybe someone who did like a like an 80s comedy like Caddyshack or something like that. Yes. Is it like Ivan yes. Reitman or something? No, you're on the right track though. Yeah. What about Porky's? Oh, Bob Clark? Yep. Wow. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <correct>. Yep. <laughs> Bob Clark, the director of Porky's, A Christmas Story, Story. a movie you and I adore, and another mm. movie that you and I adore, Baby Geniuses. Um, yes. <laughs> and Karate Dog, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Which leads into our final question, John. All right, here it is for all the Marvels. The other questions don't count. Um, okay. this, this is the one you need to know. All right. Uh, Clark also directed the first two baby ge- uh, movies in the Baby Geniuses franchise. There are now five films in the Baby Geniuses saga, and Voight appears in four of them. What was the last film in the Baby Geniuses franchise, and what role does Void play? Baby Geniuses in space, and he plays the head of NASA. Boom, done. <laughs> you're you're welcome. You're welcome, <laughs> John. I'm. You just blew my mind as I'm going to blow, blow yours. That is almost correct. It's Baby Geniuses and the Space Baby. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> No, I'm going to give you points for that. That that okay. counts. All right. And Voight plays the character of Morty Artie. 
Moriarty? Like, yes. Sherlock Holmes Moriarty? Yes, yes he's the bad guy. Just <laughs> oh. like in Karate Dog, he's the bad guy. He's the villain. Okay. Um, yeah. um, like, is he a baby? What? What is he? I, I don't know. I did not look any deeper into that. I just saw the, the, the name Moriarty and thought, like, you know, come on. What other character? He's not going to play the hero, is he? <laughs> I just want to know, like, how they did baby geniuses because it's, it's hard enough to wrangle like they they only do cgi animals these days because it's just easier than wrangling like actual how do they wrangle human children for this movie i want to know uh i think it's it's relatively easy because they did the the simple mouth talking technique where you just put a cgi pair of lips over a baby uh-huh. so you can literally just sit a baby down and watch them like you know sit still like you can film it around a baby just sitting still they don't have to move all that much got it yeah, and I think that's the other premises of Baby Geniuses, and that they they can move, they can use contraptions and other things. Like they don't, you don't have to actually require a baby to crawl or not cry for like. Got yeah. it. Yes, they all like move around probably in robot suits or some things yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that's the movie we're going to be watching next week. Next week is uh, yes. Baby Love Geniuses it. Two, Super Love Super it. Babies. Yeah. <laughs> How many of those appeared in uh, Roger Ebert's like terrible books series? <laughs> like, oh, th- definitely the first two. Definitely yes. those two. Then the other ones, I think, went straight to DVD or uh, uh, Redbox or something. Uh, yeah, damn. <laughs> sparing poor Roger Ebert the opportunity to just watch those inglorious yeah. seventy millimeter. I assume that's what they were intended <laughs> for. So, yeah. Christopher Nolan was attached to Baby Baby Geniuses three, um, but he decided to continue his Batman saga. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Well. I think this I think this episode's rolling into the station quite nicely. Again, we yeah. love our trains here. We yeah. love our choo choos. So <laughs> <laughs> like Dustin Hoffman, I'm sweating bullets. <laughs> I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> I'm about to piss myself. So Yeah. <laughs> so so let's confidently move to the end of this episode. Um if you liked what you heard, um, which, God, I don't know how or why, but <laughs> you can give us a like on Facebook, uh, give us a follow on Twitter or on Instagram, and um, just give us a subscribe on your podcast service of choice, whether that mm-hmm. be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're all on there. And um, Probably yeah. not Apple Podcasts, because I think uh, <laughs> that, that's, that thing is down forever. <laughs> okay. I've heard a lot, of, a lot of horror stories. Even I changed over. I was like, this is unusable. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still attached. Like, like to iTunes, I'm still. Um, <laughs> I'm a legacy case. I'm never changing. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And yes, um, once you've done that, if you ever want to reach out to us directly, you can always email us directly at aspiringstoms at gmail with your questions, comments, and recommendations. Yeah, and um, we do uh, answer questions on the air, even though we're not on the air. We're recording <laughs> on a computer, but uh, we do also take recommendations. However, we will not be needing recommendations for the next two weeks. Uh, because I believe we're doing a unit on movies we're inspired to see based on YouTube video essays. So <laughs> there you go. Um, yes. So uh, I watched a, a YouTube essay uh, done by Maggie Mae Fish, where she compared the straight story to something I can't even remember now. I think it might have been <laughs> Rainbow. Who knows? <laughs> but um, we are revisiting our second David Lynch movie for the podcast. That's right. We're going to be revisiting the straight story. Yeah, which I feel like is is really a, a good uh, indicative of his career. Really, I mean, I mean, see, that's the that, again. He's 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 like a little jokester. He's a trickster. He's he's Loki incarnate. You know, everyone's like, "What? David Lynch is doing a movie for Disney?" And of course, you ask David Lynch about. It, he's like, "This is my most experimental film, actually." <laughs> <laughs> that's 
great. <laughs> yes. And in honor of David Lynch, we'll be watching it on our phones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe it's on Disney Plus, right? It's got to be. It, yes, it was it's a, on yeah. Disney Plus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or at least it was at the time. Like, I don't know if Disney Disney Plus doesn't really have that same kind of like issue with like oh, watch it before it's gone because I don't really think that they take stuff. I mean, they've got so much bad cred with the Disney Vault. I don't think they have any reason to like take stuff away, but they might, you know, yeah. that artificial scarcity. I, maybe they're not paying uh, the AV Club or Vulture or any other entertainment website saying like, "Hey, here's what's coming to and leaving this month. Make sure you yeah. check in, you log in, and watch them." Or yeah, <laughs> here's our requisite advertorial. We need clicks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> here's what's coming and going to Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Guys, just watch.com. Seriously, that's all yeah. you need. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> Don't Google anymore. I mean, I yeah. think Just Watch is owned by Amazon probably, but who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which, like, IMDb is trying to is trying to roll out something like this, and they probably yes. could if they weren't owned by Amazon. However, <laughs> like like a lot of other Amazon properties, it just gets it just left to the wayside or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. The internet's bad, folks. Don't like yep. it anymore. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, like a lot of things. It was good for those years I was a teen. No, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> it turns out it's just gotten worse. <laughs> Did you notice granola bars also feel smaller? <laughs> and and Space Jam wasn't as good as I remember it. <laughs> What the hell? You know what? It's the internet's fault. Yeah. The internet, ruined, the internet ruined Space Jam too. They're in cyberspace? What the hell? <laughs> Why call it Space Jam then if they're not going to space? <laughs> or fighting aliens. Actually, yeah, they don't go to space in the original Space Jam. They fight aliens. That's why it's called Space Jam. Well, they go. It's, it's Looney Tunes world. Like, that's the thing. It's like there's a parallel world of Looney Tunes. Where's that concept? That's a brilliant concept to build your story around. Come on, guys. Do I have to do your jobs for you? Is there not... Why is there no qualified screenwriters in Hollywood anymore? I don't get it. They could have made this complicated, like, this awesome cosmology of, like, you know, cosmic creatures in the Looney Tunes universe, but no. Let's just fucking do uh, Ready Player 2 again, I guess. Yes, because they weren't prepared for... What what actually gets you a career in Hollywood? Robert McKee and the Save the Cat guy were mm. completely wrong. They're like, hey, here's a structure to tell a story of import or excitement for people. No, that's not how you get a, that's not how you get a career in Hollywood. It's to appease shareholders. It's to ah. take their ideas and turn it into crap to shovel to uh, un, un uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, un, unpicky masses. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> there you go. That's that's the next edition. Yeah. <laughs> All right, story, story, volume two. Here's yeah. the start. Okay, pick your '80s cartoon. <laughs> there you go. Yes, pick your '80s cartoon, or uh, then decide uh, hard reboot, soft reboot, or remake. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what was watched in China most recently. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Go make that for American audiences. And... <laughs> Anyway, uh, on that cheery, positive note, <laughs> um, yes. thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring, cowpokes. <laughs> Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. Pilot washed his hands and sealed his face.